Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Welcome back, FemFam. Thank you guys for listening as always. We have another fantastic guest for you today. I'm really excited about this one because he is a DP of a show that has been on my list forever to watch. And I finally watched it and literally binged it all in one day. So I'm very excited to talk to him about the show. Today we have Trevor Forrest. DP, um, you would know his work at least from Little Fires Everywhere, but I bet you probably know more of his work as well. So we'll have him talk about that. Um, but just to get started, if you can let our listeners know just a little bit about you know your backstory, how you got started, how long you've been doing this, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, my my career started in England, and uh, the very first thing I film I ever shot was. Um, off the back of a series of photographs I had in a sketchbook and I met the director in a park in London and he said oh, I love those photographs who took them and I said well they're my photographs he said well I want the film to look like that and so that actually even to like yesterday and the whole of Little Fives Everywhere has been a process of of sharing ideas visually um whether they're the right ones or the wrong ones um <laughs> it's important to because actually it's much easier to know what you don't want than it is to know what you really need and so it begins a conversation and that's really been my entire career of collaboration uh, starts with ideas Second step is like sharing a visual language, creating it with a director, and then um, and then growing that and maintaining it and and finding it uh, sometimes on set, uh, sometimes beforehand, you know, sometimes in pitch documents. But so I started in London. I did a tiny film called Some uh, Someone Else for about uh, three hundred thousand pounds, shot on film with Cole Spector from RSA Films, and then slowly you know climbing the ranks of of commercials and music videos and um living in london traveling a lot i became that person who would travel anywhere including india and russia and alaska and still be that guy who could make something look beautiful even though you were stood in a you know places you'd never been and, and what that became and still is today is if you can take an audience from their seat, whatever that one might be, from a cinema or their living room, into another place that they haven't been to, then you have them to tell them a story. Mm-hmm. And um, so those sort of things have been, from the beginning, my interest, and then still things I hold dear now, and why people get excited to collaborate with me, and how I, why I'm excited to collaborate with them, because often they have a story and a journey to tell, and I was like, I've got so mm-hmm. many ideas. What about doing this? Mm-hmm. And um, so that took me from London. And one of the locations I went to was Cuba. And Lucy Malloy, 
um, a director just graduating from NYU was doing a short film in Cuba. And then that grew from a short film to a feature film. Unfortunately, the, the budget didn't grow. So what she decided to do is make a film with 20 people, including the cast. And we stayed in Cuba for 10 weeks. And the casting call that she did with all the street kids um, to make the, the film with them as characters, she really wanted to work with real characters and real people with real stories. She gathered all of their stories. And then that short film grew with all of their stories into the feature film, which is called Una Noche, which we then took to Berlin. Uh, and then we took back to New York, where which is sort of a home ground after being a graduate of NYU. Mm-hmm. And then we won, well, she won Best Director, Best Script, and we didn't win Best Film, but we won Best Cinematography, and we won um, Best Actors in That's that fantastic. same year. Which was a really cool situation because I'd been backwards and forwards to America a lot and hadn't really <laughs> had a reason to be there or um, and part of what you have to do as an o one as a uh, an English person is have an o one visa and prove that you are a uniquely talented alien is what they they, they class it <laughs> so um, I know, but uh, I wasn't green, didn't come from Mars, struggling to figure out what to do and then but all the press from that was amazing. <laughs> Um, and the added oh, yeah. press that came from that were two of the three actors became boyfriend and girlfriend when they came to Tribeca mm-hmm. and they eloped to Miami yeah. and didn't go back to Cuba and are still American citizens today. But um, it was it was a beautiful mirroring of the film because it was an escape journey, a, an escape thriller from uh, Cuba to to a dreamland called America. and. Um, you know, it's a beautiful, tragic ending to the whole thing, and you'll go and see the film. It's on Netflix and Amazon, I think, still. But, um, but yeah, it's a raw okay, Cuban lovely. thriller, yeah. short yeah. film again. Um, and um, but that was it, my. Is it in um, Spanish? It's in Cuban. Yeah, yeah. Cuban. I mean, I say Cuban because it's so different. I mean, I it is. caught up. It's so different, and especially when you're in the streets with the street kids, they. I mean, I speak French, and so there's a version of French called Verlon, which is where you reverse most words, and it's kind of the street language, and it comes from Algerian kind of graffiti artists and hip-hop artists, and it's really cool, but the Cubans have a version of that, of Spanish, so Uh it was an adventure, let's say, and... um, But um, but yeah, 10 weeks later, and uh, I think we shot for about... 150 days on a budget of about 350,000 pounds. Um, so Which would translate, I don't know, the pound to US dollar. Yeah, like, yeah. No, well, but at, on at a the, smaller at that time, budget? Larger? At that time, yeah, it's about $400,000. So okay. um, it's a tiny budget. Um, mm-hmm. But we got around, one thing that Lucy did amazingly was to come up with the idea of make still making it like a short film of, using 20 people as the crew, the cast, the catering, Ooh, I love every, that. Every, everybody. So we could actually go to one set per day and then, and not have, because when you have a larger crew, like Little Fires Everywhere had a crew of around 170 people. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And, yeah, that's know, a big budget, difference. Budget was, you know, many millions rather than just hundreds. Right. And so um, you just, and you often need to like pre-light things and be steps ahead. And 
de-rigging something else. So when, you know, without doing all yeah. of those much more complicated things, we did one step at a time mm -hmm. and we found, you know, sometimes we found a location and lost it. Well, that didn't matter. We had 10 weeks. So we could have a down day, find another location, do the scene there and slow, but steadily made this film, which is out there and people still love today. Yeah. So that was my beginnings. I love that. And you can tell like how passionate you are, you know, about that too. Um, which I think is amazing because, you know, I think yeah. some people, some people that aren't in the world think of, you know, director of photography. Okay. Yeah. He just operates the camera, right? Like he just knows the technical stuff, but no, I mean, right. it's obviously much, much more than that. But I think that you specifically are super passionate about like the, um, like the story, not, well, not only the story, but the emotion that's behind it. And I, sure. I loved what you had uh, said to us in one of our messages about bringing like the indie emotion to the commercial world. If you could kind yeah. of speak on that a little more too. Yeah. I mean, um, we all call on our beginnings um, all the way through our career and your beginnings don't disappear. And I started at art school and then was a photographer. So all of these things are doing on your own. You're doing on your own. So you're asking a person if you can take their picture. Well, that's a very personal thing to do. And, um, and then, you know, you're interested in when you're traveling, you hear these amazing stories and a lot of the stories don't get covered or, you know, you, I, I tend to save them up and have a little sort of stack of stories like, yeah, well, I know this woman is standing in the middle of a room, but really what's going on behind her eyes? You know, what, 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 what's her background? What's her life? And it's the inside story of it all, I suppose. And our inside stories are what make us do things. And so instead of just standing back and watching people do this, you would you know, their actions should reflect what they're thinking and, and vice versa. So that's already, that's an untold story in the script, if you like. Yeah. Um, but I think when you care about someone's inside story, and this could be a Marvel film as well, or a, a Batman, or it, I mean, I think Warner Brothers does a great job uh, of, of having another level of personal on top of a superhero. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I think Marvel have an ensemble cast, so it's harder to tell everybody's story all the time. And I think it's going to be a lot easier now that um, Marvel are doing television shows because you can dive into their inside stories. And I think right. that's really what's happening. So the beginning of caring about a person, caring about a character, brings layers that are not always on the, on the page, but can give you and make you excited about making the pictures about these, these people, these characters. And one of the few things you have to tell, well, in my world or my job, you have camera operating, you have lenses, you have lighting and color or lack of, and all of those things you can use to create a mood, to make right. it sunshiny when it's daylight, <laughs> or when it's nighttime, should I say. You can, but you can use a still camera to make some and have someone leave frame, come back in and make you feel like you're in the room with them. Mm -hmm. Or you can follow them and feel like you're again in, still in their head as they're thinking. Like a couple of times we would follow Kerry Washington through the house where she was working with um, for uh, Reese Witherspoon's character, mm -hmm. Elena. And, you know, what was she thinking? You know, taking all this environment in, especially if you're behind her. So you're seeing exactly what she's seeing at the same time. You can't see her face, but you can still imagine, like, this palatial interior and how this reflects on how this 
you know, mother who brought her child in a small car to a big town and now lives in a, a house which is closer to living in nature because it, you know, is an old house and has a firelight and a few bulbs and that sort of thing to keep it, keep it lit. But, um, but they're the three or four things I always, we always go back to. I mean, every cinematographer goes back to it. Like, you know, what is, what is the movement here? What is, how do we follow this? Do we follow this? Do we let this go? Leave frame, we're in an empty room and then something comes back in. I mean, yeah. David Finch is a master of an empty room and, and stillness as well. And, uh, you know, something going back mm-hmm. to Una Not going back to Una Noche, the story was unraveling. We were quite, we didn't write the story every day, but the, you know, they were, so we would be in a new place every day. So you'd want to try and see it. Uh-huh. And um, and again, you know, remembering you're taking the audience out of their seat into a, a room in Cuba somewhere or a street or, a, you know, uh, an adventure that even the character doesn't even know is going on. So you're following these people. And um, there are lots of different ways of using tools to follow them. Some are cheap and some are expensive. Um, but the idea <laughs> is the same, you know. The idea is... Where's the story and how do you follow it? And how much, of the sh- how much of the story do you want to tell now? Or how much do you want to tell the story later? Like yeah. the, t- the teasing Ooh. of it as well, you know? And I think that's, it's all a game. It, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things I just mentioned there. And they're always, you're juggling five or seven balls. And you've definitely talked about it in prep. But sometimes your three hours turns into half an hour. And then you're really forced to not having five of these things ha- happening. You're, you have to choose one and you go, okay, well, and actually some of those decisions, especially the pressurized ones where you go, all right, we're going to have to lock the camera off here with the scene has to happen in front of the camera. Um, it's a fight. The person, the three people, the two people fighting leave shot. Well, and you hear them off camera and then you fall back into camera. One person gets up, he's alive. The other person doesn't get up. He's not alive. End of yeah. scene. Or so mm. there's the, it's it's a it's nice to have got to a point in my career where I can feel things out. And I think mm-hmm. the directors I've been lucky enough to work for love to also do that. On you know, in addition to the planning, is also yeah. let the planning go and then find something exciting in the scene. You know, it's crazy. Like the more I learn about cinematography, so many things seem like they should like you shouldn't even have to think about it like it's obvious but it's so not it's so nothing I would ever think of like you said like okay if someone's you know enter or leaving and then entering the room again do you Mm want to be in the room do you want the camera to be like the audience to feel like they're sitting there so they go out of frame and come back or do you want to follow them so you're in their head like it just it's stuff that like evokes emotion and it seems obvious but it's so not <laughs> so it's yeah, always so it, interesting to me to hear these no things. and it's it's also like handing on a baton from the story so when you have someone like you know Reese and Kerry and they uh what's great about Little Fires Everywhere on a writing level Liz Culligar and obviously Celeste and had this uh, mechanics going on it and it's the antagonist the person who's pressure, pressurizing the protagonist this you know the the the, the mm-hmm. backwards and forwards of the good guy bad guy there's no good guy bad guy anymore it's like this thing gets passed backwards and forwards and they're just you know sh- rattling each other's cages and the things that fall out are the things they've been hiding and as more and more mm. things fall out and and become visible which they've been desperately trying to hide from their past Mm-hmm. Um, the layers, the characters become revealed. 
So um, how do you keep that simple so that you don't get lost to the viewer? You know, you just enjoy these things unraveling. And, um, and I think that comes from the writing initially, but then the Lynn Shelton's directing of it is, again, one of the art forms of, of, of directing is pulling so many different threads together to make a sense of that and mm. making sense of it for me and then me making sense for the audience, through the camera. Um, and then that's also through editing as well. But, um, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things we've talked about, but, and it seems complex. But I think if you take, again, the one step at a time of the preparation, what's the heart of the scene, you know, it, on a script level, mm-hmm. then, and, um, and you can do that for each character. What's the heart of the scene for each of those characters? You know, Carrie's hiding something. Helena's mm-hmm. like confused what she's hiding. And then that stepping up kind of step, takes those steps along the way. And that feels now you're going on this journey with these steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I love, I love breaking that down. Yeah, you know, exactly. And I, you know, I'm not a complicated person. I, I need things to be simple because it I help, helps me understand them because I want to feel them as well as see them as well. You want to feel it and understand it as well as see it because that means more, you know? Yeah. I mean, even like when I was watching it, like I said, I watched it all in one day. Um, I remember kind of near the beginning, I was getting a little confused with like some timeline stuff. I was like, wait, was that a flashback? Did she know that person already? But like mm-hmm. by the time I was even at that point in the season, like I was so invested in right characters and everything going on that it almost really didn't matter you know and it all got cleared up anyway but I mean I think that's such an important thing when you are able to get so just invested in the characters or the story or whatever you know and I think that came through with the way that you guys all shot it you know yeah no and there are several directors there's Mike Weaver there was Nzinga Stewart and they were tasked with another level where they had to take on what Lynn had created Mm -hmm. and then you know, also make sense of it themselves and keep this train rolling. Um, and and I think it's a really beautiful and fine dance between confusing the audience just a little bit to make you want to know more and then answering that problem just off, just before mm-hmm. you lose contact, just before mm-hmm. you lose interest. And I think um, that's a great, really hard uh, to do. A couple of great films. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's well, it's refined. It's, I mean, it's not because you can. Yeah, yeah. We shoot options. The edits are also okay. where that that gets worked out as well. And then the test screening. We have True. amazing producers who are super experienced as well. Like Pilar Savone worked with Tarantino for decades, so she knew story from that side Ooh. as well. And she was <laughs> Kerry Washington's producing partner. And then we have Lauren Neustadt, and she comes from Fox, and so. You know, she'd made so many films at 20th Century Fox. And so the understanding story, we just had this dream team of people putting things together. And so we could really push the boundaries and try those things out really um, thoroughly. Um, and, and then trust in the fact that we also had the edit uh, to, to really tie the bow on top of that, to deliver it nice and neatly. I feel like that's a dream, like to to have (laughs) those options, you know, and then even like for the editor too, they're like, oh, I have options too now, you know, and right. Well, that starts at the beginning as well. You know, the the decision for the producers to lay that out is like, this is how we're going to make this is, is something that comes from experience and also from, comes from a really strong hand because I'm sure the studio conversations they had, and I know that Pilar had to go and have 
a very strong conversation like we need this so we're going to need this extra money because we so i don't know if you know this but the story was shot in los angeles but was supposed to take place in ohio mm -hmm. and for a, a political decision that was made at the time which was about women's rights so i won't go into it for now but they were like we can't make this story about women in this state which has problems with women's rights and especially if it you know to do with pregnancies and so and so right. forth all of this the heartbeat of the whole story like we we can't be here we've got to go and so one of the problems and challenges and reasons i won the job is because i answered a lot of the problems and challenges visually of how do we make los angeles look like autumnal ohio for yeah. okay. I had I had no idea you guys shot it here. Yeah, I right. thought it was done there. Like a hundred percent. This is like blowing my mind. <laughs> so, that is crazy. That's a magic trick, but I didn't. But congratulations, you did it. Yeah. Well, you know, again, <laughs> great. And it's again, that's a production decision, and you know, not enough gets said for because as a DP, I can only really do what I'm allowed to do. Well, we have budget mm -hmm. for this, this, and this. Well, I'd like to do five other things. Well, there's no budget for that. You can't do those. Okay, great. We're doing these. And so it's their decision of how to spend the budget, how to lay out the budget, recognize the challenges of that big shift that actually will come with a separate cost. Um, it's mm -hmm. foresight and producers and the best producers have that foresight and that vision from day minus 90, because you had 90 days of prep before you even started shooting. So that yeah. foresight goes, it's, you know, it's like a mystic kind wow. of trick. Yeah, definitely. So all like, do you find that the from transitioning from the indie world to this bigger commercial world is the difference really, because you kind of broke down the step by step and that seems mm -hmm. like, to have a successful end product, you you always have to you know go back to the script, the story, the characters, the consciousness behind everything. But the difference then kind of falls into budget and scale of the production set, and is that kind of where the and there's like maybe advantages and disadvantages in in either or. For um, sure, um, I think you know each job has a tool. And to do a project like Little Fires needed a certain amount of tools. And, you know, as a cinematographer, you're also one of three bosses that, you know, run the show and create mm -hmm. the show and collaborate with the other two bosses, Jess Kender, production designer, Lynn Shelton, director. There's a few more. There's Liz Pilligar, who's a showrunner and writer, you know. But each one of those people actually has built this amazing team um and you know my team I, they're like a family as well but they're also super experienced larry sweet came up through michael bay and david lynch david david fincher projects uh david lynch projects um uh jj abraham abrams projects um so he's my key grip i mean he has got so much history and knowledge and things that i i I pull on all the time, you know, that's just mm -hmm. one person. And then Danny Dura, oh, yeah. my gaffer, he comes from, you know, uh, again, from Coen Brothers films, from uh, working with uh, massive, on massive projects with Mike Bauman and uh, people who do like Ridley Scott film. These are people who have all had huge backgrounds and they bring everything to the table. And as my team, and now I call them my family, really, 
Mm-hmm. They they generously give it to me, you know, and generously like, Trev, what about this? Or I know you're thinking that, but what about this? And they're always yeah. bringing stuff. I mean, I, I'm the filter that brings them through and makes them specific to the project that I've now interpreted that's in front of us. Um, but you have to be a team leader. You have mm-hmm. to choose your team members with care, treat them with care, because it, you'll get so much out of them because of that because they want to bring it for you. Um, and and everyone does that. I mean, every single person, like I said, you know, or, or Lynn was given her team, but she had an amazing team really as well. Uh, Mary Howard, line producer, Max, um, Luke Maxey, first AD, um, Brad Jacobian. They, those three have been a family on so many different projects for decades. And so yeah. her foundation of assistance was based on all that. So that's a massive project, and I think that's what you need. And as those projects get bigger, those teams just will grow naturally and organically. You might need more hands to be on bigger sets or deal with multiple sets or trickier, bigger tools. But going back to Una Noche, the other end, and it's nice to have these sort of, you know, bookends to a career and bookends, because they're the same thing, really. Like, we couldn't have made... There was actually a film... On, in Cuba, shooting at the same time as we shot Una Noche, which I saw later. And they had big lights, they had lockdown streets, they had, um, they'd actually brought extras from Miami <laughs> to Cuba. <laughs> and so, so um, you know, they, there weren't enough uh, actors in Cuba to make a scene of 200 people, so they had to bring people from elsewhere. Um, what I saw at that film, that film didn't feel like Cuba or the Cuba that we had found. And mm-hmm. I think the more you do in places like that, the more it disappears. And so, um, you know, Laura, our production designer, didn't win an award, but should have won, won an award for almost doing nothing because production designer is about making the environment. Well, she found these incredible places and did nothing. And they were, they were amazing because of it. Mm. Um, and I think that's a talent of most of the best production designers is know when to do something, know how to create something completely from scratch, yeah. but when not to touch anything at all. Like, this room is perfect. We're not doing anything, you know, that's it. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, the crew of 20 people allowed us to be there for 10 weeks. And if we'd had normal crew of 60, maybe, if even for a f- small film, you'd have 60 people, we could be there for four weeks, which meant mm. that if we lost a location, we were losing a scene or two. Um, if we lost a, uh, a day, that was, you know, a, t- a 20th of what we were going to put on the screen, which meant right. that, you don't have enough to tell the story. So pressure's that, on. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, no. it and you know, you've, we've all seen fantastic, you know, small movies made um well like The Witch and The Lighthouse. I mean, The Lighthouse grew as well a little bit. Yeah. They built the set and on that location, but the location where they chose to make it um gave so much back to the story and i think you know we were just in cuba with everything was our world and everything was our set um including the ocean um we took out uh we made these little pedal boats our 
camera boats and we took out six of them and then strapped them all together in triangle formation with a raft at the front. And so when you see the film, you look at them and they're paddling away. They're, they're, tr they're escaping Cuba and they're paddling across the water to America and they're in the middle of, an of the ocean and it rains. The rain comes what? from the horizon, pouring, <laughs> pouring rain. We were just out there for two weeks, but, um, you know, every day we'd go out. But uh, to make that scene, we would have had to, we'd have needed some Steven Spielberg VFX and more. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, but we did it on pedal boats and a, a raft that we all made, you know, on the beach before we went out and, you know, we shot it. We, you know, shot what we could during the day and then, went back and went out seven or eight more times and cut those together as a scene. And that's what yeah. you see in the film today. I love that. I love when it's like, when you can get creative with how to do things and when things just like <clears throat> fall into place, you know, like, right. It's just, it's awesome. the magic. Like, yeah. When you can take something that you didn't plan and then you're like, Oh my God, actually that's even better. <laughs> like, yes. Let's use that. You know? Well, there was another time in Una Noche when we were doing this interior and there's a beautiful, um, horseshoe Road in uh, Cuba, in Havana, called the, um, uh, I'm blanking for a second. Anyway, it's a huge waterfront. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, that's where the wind blows in from the west, and it's a really beautiful deep harbor. Anyway, we were shooting this really small interior, just, it's the Malacon. And we were shooting right there in a tiny little room um, about the story of this boy who was tra trading his, his bike He's going to sell his bicycle and then buy a motor to help them make this raft and get out of Cuba. Mm -hmm. um, during the shooting of that tiny scene in this tiny cramped room, I went outside to get some fresh air and I looked out and it was, there was probably two feet of water filling the road outside the building. The waves were now crashing against the wall and then shooting up to about 40 feet yeah, and then crashing over the, and then crashing over the, um, mm -hmm over the road, filling it with water. So all the cars were going through and flooding and spraying up water. And I was like, you know what? This is not, the story is outside. Let's go outside and have him cycling his bike, just doing a long shot of him coming around the Malacom with his waves breaking over him. He's shoeless and pushing his, you know, cycling his bike <laughs> kind of in a melancholy way, but it's epic melancholy way. Cause he was this, he loved this bike and it was kind of given to him for his father. Aww. So there are these other background meanings, but he was going to have to trade it for the one thing that's going to help them when they escape. So he was sort of trading his life or his, you know, his history for this potential future. And this, you know, the few shots that we did outside on a long lens in pouring rain with these smashing, they're all in the film, but, um, I mean, every frame of it is in the film, but um, yeah. it was the shot to find. Rather than just focusing on the small scene, this dialogue oh. scene, which we actually did afterwards, we barely needed it in the edit because it was so told and so much was, was told in the, in the cycling of him coming through the waves and smashing through the to the rain. <laughs> I love that. I'm I'm just gonna say shout out to our listeners right now. Like I don't know about y'all, but there's just something so romantic about the way you speak about these scene setups and like visually like I can see it and just like kind of like this tragedy of the water crashing over For this sure. young man. Like it's it's so beautiful. Like and oh. and it just and I I I think you guys really it sounds like you you had all the elements working for you in that instance to create yeah. that emotion and behind it. 
And we would definitely have missed it if we you were know, there for it's, four it's, weeks. It's really like, mm -hmm. like it stirs you inside. You're just like, I can see it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, <laughs> and and it's an inside story again, you know, it's the inside story of what that water again, means. It's yeah. The, the inside story of what that bicycle mm -hmm. means to that character and what he's thinking, his inside mm -hmm. story. And um and I think the production decision to be there for 10 weeks, we would never have stepped outside and filmed those waves if we didn't have the extra time to narrow the crew, extend the time. We would definitely be in there going, we've mm -hmm. got to get this scene. We, we're mm -hmm. going to lose this scene. If we don't shoot the scene now, we're going to lose it. And mm -hmm. we'll, we never see the water. We never see the waves. Mm. So decisions are so important right so, up the front. So important. Yeah. 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 I wanted to co cover more just that that little fire burning scene. Well, the key about the the fire scene and little fires everywhere, as it reflects to what every everything we've seen now, is it really is the crew, all of the crew coming together, the mm -hmm. visual effects, the art department, the producers, the script that was written, the the house we found, Liz. Uh, Liz's storytelling of how you know Reese is asleep and then this house is burst on fire yeah. and but the making of it was all done probably in about 10 different pieces and then put back together in the edit okay. but seamlessly <laughs> but that's a perfect example when you see it and actually if you haven't got time here I did this uh, I did talk a lot about it on my Instagram and on Gold Derby um, I did a whole breakdown of all the crew and all their jobs and how we put it all together and yeah. how we lit it uh okay, so it's there perfect. as well you can you can link it there you'll see it on my instagram but um, yeah definitely uh, that's uh t forest dop on instagram um but um that exactly is it's a nice way to sort of round this up because it's a beautiful way of how everybody came together how it was planned seven weeks before and then how it ends up on television seamlessly put together as you know 40 different uh jigsaw pieces but seamlessly as one and yeah. not to not to interrupt, but for our listeners, mm -hmm. we're talk we're specifically talking about. And when you mentioned the scene, or I saw your post on Instagram, like that scene was literally figuratively burned into my memory of when <laughs> um, uh, the the painting was burned and like all the all the chaos kind of falling around the house of that when she was burning the painting. So yeah. that's that's the scene we're talking about here. So if yeah, you guys want to hear more about the breakdown, definitely check out Trevor's interview on on Instagram. But I love that we had this kind of discussion around the team and, and going from indie to this commercial, like breaking it down in different ways. So I'm mm -hmm. really glad we yeah. we kind of like went through that journey. Um so yeah. It, it it was such an epic scene. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, Trevor mentioned uh, his Instagram is tforestdop, correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And we'll, of course, put that in the, um, yeah. in the breakdown and everything. We'll also link you guys to his other interviews that he spoke of so you can find yeah. out more. Um, and check out, check out Una Noche, yes. um, Noble, um, I Am The Night, which was Patty Jenkins on TNT and now Hulu, and then Little Fires Everywhere. Amazing. Listeners, yes. check them all out. I'm excited to watch everything I haven't yet. <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I really want to see Una Noche now. Una yeah. Noche. <laughs> well, thank Great. you so much, Trevor, for coming on today. This no, was awesome. Like, I really, I learned a lot. I'm inspired. and I am yeah. so inspired. I'm about to, like, do a little, like, um, consulting, cinematographer consulting, and this just, like, really 
put me in the right headspace on how to like, again, view the script to the characters and maybe where we can like play with the camera angles and stuff. So Absolutely. this was just so inspiring. I hope like any of our, our I know our listeners will be inspired too. Cause it was just great. Oh, it was just so juicy. I love, I love spilling <laughs> the tea guys. I love spilling <laughs> the tea. So thank you, Trevor. This was such a delight. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Femme Regard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in next time for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals over tea. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. If you leave us a great comment, we might give you a shout-out on the show. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.